Florida. Uh, it is such a uh, privilege and it's a blessing and honor to be with you and to our brothers and sisters in the Bahamas. I'll tell you what, uh, the world we live in put boundaries, but we are one family, one people. One day we all will be reunited under one king, King Jesus, together, a great family. So uh, it is a privilege uh, to be with you and an honor uh, to share the word of God uh, with you. Uh, uh, we want to say thank you. We, the well, we all of us, our team, we fall, we fall in love with the uh, with Nassau, with the Bahamas, and so you guys are amazing. Uh, thank you for your for the warm reception, kindness, and thank you, Pastor Moss, a great man of God. Uh, we really, God, we have brothers and sisters all over the world. It is a huge family. I can't wait to see my Jesus in heaven when we will be united with family. And, and I say that all the time in my church. Now we don't have time. We have to fly back uh, uh, tomorrow. But I promise you this. I promise you this. When we get to heaven, I'll come visit you. I'll give you, you know, take a vacation with you for 10 years. Each of you. We'll know each other, talk about, you know, I don't know how many time I'm going to spend with Abraham, but I know, you know, so we're going to spend some time to, to just talk. You know, talk with David. David, what's going on with you, man? <laughs> Tell me, you know, and all those things will be enjoying ourselves for eternity. So this morning, let's uh, turn uh, all the things, you know, God has done, the greatest thing he he could have done in our life. He's saving us by grace. We are his servant. It's because of his mercy. We don't deserve nothing. That's what I tell people. I'm sold out because I'm on borrowed time. Okay? So if uh, 25, 30 years ago I die, I'll be in hell because I didn't, I didn't know the Lord. But by the grace of God, he saved me. So my goal was before salvation was to destroy churches, make them look stupid and dumb. My, now my zeal has transferred from, from darkness into light. So proclaiming the word of God without compromise. Please open your Bible with me, Scripture. Uh, in we, this morning, we're going to be uh, talking in the, uh, the assurance of salvation. We'll be talking about this topic. Tell you what, I've been preaching in, in my second year, preaching over the book of Galatians. I call it Back to the Gospel. Because in, in Palm Beach, in West Palm Beach, we're living in a, in, a, in a city, in a county, which is about 64% of people are, 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 are non-church goers. Okay, so when I told uh, my church, we, gotta, we better be wake up. Okay, because God is going to ask each and every one of us account. You, I have placed you in that city. And so many people in your surrounding, they are on their way to hell. What have you done with your time? So it's a wake up call. But this morning, the assurance of salvation, it is something that needs to be repeated. The gospel, it is something that needs 
to continue to be preached each and every day in our life. So until we get it, until we get to heaven. Okay? So please, let's read. I'm going to preach uh, from verse uh, 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 3 to 29. Uh, but I'm, uh, because we're going to be reading, let me just read for you verse uh, 1, starting with verse 1. So John said, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. By this, verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Lord Jesus, nobody, no word of prophecy is a matter of one's own interpretation. But it is only through the Holy Spirit that we can speak the word of prophecy. Father, I pray that this morning you anoint my lips my mouth and father open the hearts and the mind of your people that they will understand and father not only to have a heart knowledge but uh, a head knowledge but for your heart knowledge knowledge down to application father use me let the word speak in jesus name we pray amen so the Assurance of salvation. So how do you know you are truly saved? Anytime we ask people, if you would, yesterday we were working and, 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 and uh, a guy was, we were talking to him in, in door-to-door evangelism and, and I said, do you know the Lord? He said, oh, yes, I know the Lord. I said, uh, John 3, 16. I said, oh, good. They, I said, if you were to die today, uh, would you, would you, and then you meet Jesus. Jesus asked you the question, why would I let you know to my heaven? Well, he said, you know, I'll say, you know, I'll, I'm a good guy. I've, I've done this, I've done that. And, you know, 
So I say, do you know if you truly say? He say, I cannot, you know, I, I guess, I hope so. I say, you hope so. See the problem? So uh, in the church, one of the most important things that people, all of us, if you would come, walk through this door, come to church this morning, you do not know that you do not know that you have the true assurance of salvation. I'm telling you now, we're going, we're going to cancel our flight tomorrow just to sit down with it because it is one thing that you cannot you cannot live one second as a christian not having the assurance that you are truly saved so this morning uh, through chapter two we're going to walk through three assurances of salvation three assurances of salvation that, that john displays us uh, 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 plainly explained in this uh, uh, chapter. Well, let me give you uh, just a little background of the book of, of, of First John. Uh, for you to understand the reason why John wrote this book is uh, John 2 verse 26. When he says, look at that, the purpose, the main purpose of the book. Okay? These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. See that? I'm re- I'm, 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 this thing I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. He was speaking probably about, you know, people in the first century about the, what, what we call the incipient Gnosticism at the first century. Gnosticism, uh, basic premises, they saw uh, a sharp uh, dualism like a platonistic mindset between, you know, uh, spirit, they, they differentiate spirit and matter. The, the spiritual was regarded as divine and good. Why the materialistic was deemed created, do not bad, not by God, but has evil. You see, they separate spiritual and material. They say spiritual is, is good, but anything that is material is evil. So this is uh, what the teaching that was going on. So this fundamental Gnostic premise adversely touched two areas of Christianity. And, uh, and the people to whom John wrote uh, these uh, uh, letters in, in, in Asia Minor were facing with those uh, kind of false teaching. The first aspect that they were the, this, this false teaching address was the orthodoxy. The orthodoxy, what we mean by orthodoxy, is the correct doctrine. And the other aspect was the, what we call autopraxis, which is the, our, our correct conduct, our behavior. So Gnosticism, they denied the incarnation of Jesus. They advocated that a pure spirit like God could have nothing to do with evil matter, such as a human body. They said Jesus didn't have a human body. So they offered... Two possible solutions to this problem. So if some of you, you 
uh, 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 were there on, uh, on, I think, Friday. We covered a broad topic teaching over the Jehovah Witnesses. You will find a similarity between what Jehovah Witnesses is teaching right now. You have first uh, the Docetic Gnostics. They deny the Jesus' humanity. They say, Jesus, he, he only seemed to be a human being. Only seemed to be a human being. This was an attempt to preserve Christ's deity as the expense of his humanity. So now, you have another false teacher, Serentus, calling by the name of uh, Serentian Gnosticism. It maintained the early Jesus was nothing more than a human being upon whom the heavenly Christ or, or Logos descended at his baptism but then left him prior to the cross. Kind of type of what Muslims believe about Jesus. This was an attempt to preserve Jesus' humanity at the expense of his deity. So now, talking about the autopraxis, with respect to autopraxis, the Gnostic heretics had a, an inadequate sense of both sin and moral behavior. Some Gnostics claim, we have not sinned. We never sinned. And John will, will, will uh, respond from John 1.10. You see, uh, uh, verse 10. Chapter 1, First John 1, uh, uh, verse, verse 10, he said, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. You see that? And others said, you know what? We have no sin at all. And verse 8, John re replied in uh, chapter 1. He said, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. See that? For those who are saying Jesus did not come in the flesh, you see how John introduced his book. He said, verse 1, what was from the beginning. Actually, John didn't put any salutation, nothing. He just goes straight to the matter. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our own eyes. Yeah, we, I know you see. We see, you see with us. Why did John emphasize on this? He said, what we have seen with our own, with our eyes. We have looked at and what? Touch. You know, touch spirit. You see that? With our hands concerning the word of life. So according to them, sin was a matter of the evil flesh from which they had supposedly been liberated. So they argued that sin was not a matter affecting the, 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 the noble spirit into which the knowledge had allegedly brought them. So listen to this. Moral conduct was unnecessary issue to discuss. It sounds familiar with, with the emerging church in America today. Just preach. All you need to do is believe in Jesus and that's it. It doesn't matter if, you, if you're sleeping with a boyfriend outside of marriage. 
bro, boyfriend, girlfriend living in an apartment outside of marriage. It doesn't matter. All you do, John 3.16, believe in Jesus and that's it. You see that? Sin and you, you have a whole movement now. People trying to, to, to twist the word of God to promote the, 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 the homosexual gospel. Preachers. Pastors. They say it doesn't matter. So moral conduct was unnecessary issue to discuss. You just believe. So the immediate purpose for wanting to proclaim his experience of, of, of seeing as we just see in, in chapter 1 and hearing Jesus is found in, in uh, verse 3 to 4. So his readers, John readers, may have a horizontal relationship with the saints and also a vertical relationship with the father and his son you see that a second purpose for writing these things is so john's joy may be made complete so these purposes they are very extremely important to the author john you need to understand john john is a black and white author John doesn't use no gray area. He is very direct. He's telling you straight to your face what it is. He provides three essential tests or three, what we call three assurances of salvation in chapter 2. So the first one, the first test, the reason I, John, because John is writing very directly, he doesn't write like this, this book, like you, you find uh, the Colossians, uh, Romans, the Ephesians. So, because the gospel, there is an indicative aspect of the gospel. There is also an imperative aspect. John will present like, the, the reason I'm going with the theological uh, assurance first is because I want to give you the indicative, how you get saved. But John put it in verse 18 through 29. Okay, of First John chapter 2. So now, uh, theological assurance is believe in the doctrine of the incarnation. You see that? That was a big problem, a huge problem with the Gnostic gospel. They did not believe in the incarnation. Let me ask you the question. How did they become a Christian? How did you become a Christian? John already wrote a gospel to explain that. In John 6, 44, John said, No one in the word of Jesus, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me, what? Draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And Paul makes it clear in Ephesians 1, 13, for you, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, right? Having also believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You see that? The Holy Spirit indwells you when you believe. When you believe the message, you understand that you are a sinner. Jesus came to fulfill, to take the punishment that you deserve. You cry out to him. You say, Father, forgive me. What happened? He indwells you. Now the Holy Spirit in you will enable you to produce fruit. 
Now, the unorthodox teachings to which John's readers are exposed was trying to erode their confidence in the truth. Therefore, it will injure their relationship both with God and the, other, the, the Christian community. Such injured relationship will impair their joy. If you do not have assurance of your salvation, I am, I am telling you, you know what's going to happen? It's going to be bitterness. That's what the work-based salvation must be destroyed. Because it keeps people in bondage. People who will never do good enough. In this letter, therefore, John sets forth apostolic truth, which if they hold fast to it, it maintains their horizontal relationship as well as, well as vertical relationship and increase their joy. You see that? I believe this message of First John is so relevant our culture today. If what I've heard yesterday, how we was uh, doing door to door. A guy I was talking to him. He talked that uh, talking to him over thirty minutes. He thought I was a Jehovah Witness. Until you know he was when until he didn't he didn't want me. Oh, my girlfriend is a Jehovah Witness. I'm not a Jehovah Witness. Until said, I'm not a Jehovah Witness. You know he said, Oh, wait, yeah, 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 yeah. So it is so important today. So with respect with a Christian committing sin, John argues, you know, uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He say, his case, you see, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. You see that? And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. The righteous. You see? If anyone sins, his case is not hopeless. Christ is his advocate with the Father. You see that? I'd like to suggest to you this morning, when Christian, when we sin as believers, Jesus does not plead our innocence before the Father. He does not. That is, he does not maintain that our virtues or good deeds are sufficient to obtain and maintain divine favor. No, 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 no. That's not what Jesus did. Rather, he himself is the propitiation for our sins. When Satan, if Satan goes to God to say, look at you sinners, God, you said, you saved him, but look at what he has done. Presented to Jesus. Jesus didn't say, no, he didn't do it. Jesus said, yes, he did it, but look at my hands. I've paid for him already. I died for him already. Sometimes after you've done something, I'll tell you, even after you repent, one of the ways for Satan to keep you on bondage is keep on accusing you. Look at you ugly sinners. You should kill yourself. Don't you see what you have done? You look at Satan saying, yes, I've done it. I've done it. I've 
what? Jesus paid it for me already. Because of the cross. You see that? You cry out to God, God, forgive me. I'm such a reckless sinner. Please deliver me from this body. That's what you do. And then remind the enemy of what is coming for him, the judgment that is coming for him. Don't let him keep you in bondage, in sin, to think, I'm a failure. I can't do it anymore. I can't move forward. Don't let that happen to you. That is tactic to do that, to keep you in bondage. Jesus came to set you free. Jesus' atonement satisfies God's judgment demands regarding our moral failures, thus securing our forgiveness. Look at what John said in verse 2. And he himself is the what? Propitiation for our sins. And not for us only, but also for those of the whole world. Let me tell you something. When someone becomes a Christian, it's what happened. Christ's righteousness is imputed into your account. That's what you need to know. Nobody will make it to heaven for all the good works you've done. Nobody will, will make it to heaven for being repented of every sin. What about the sins you've done? You never know you've even done you. Will you be able to repent of this sin? No. When you become a Christian, Christ's righteousness, there's a double imputation that happened. You see that? Your sin has been imputed like gizomai. I'm going to show you the word. Like gizomai to Christ. And His righteousness has been transferred into your account. You see that? That's why you need to believe. Romans 4. Verse 4 through 5, Paul said, Now to the one who works, his wages not credited as a favor, but as what is due. You see that? The word credited, credited is the Greek word legizomai, credited or reckoned. Only God, only God has the asset to back it up. You see that? And he says, okay, but to the one who does not work, but what? Oh, believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith. You see what happened with the first? Is credited as what? As righteousness. So now, why do we need this imputation of righteousness so much? It's because we must be perfect before God's eyes. Must be perfect. God cannot overlook sin. Sin is against God's nature. God is holy. And we don't have the ability to perfect ourselves. God said, be holy, be perfect, for I am holy. Brothers and sisters, listen, God will 
never, never lower his standards to accommodate the weakness of men. God's not going to lower his standard. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God who had sins, the same God who struck Achan, is the same God today. Our good works are not good enough to make us right with God before and after salvation. That's why Paul said in Galatians 2, 16, he says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. The problem is, as long as we have this envelope, this body, sin will continue to dwell in our flesh. You see that? Adding to that, sometimes, we drive away the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit each and every day. They ask Moody, why do you think we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Moody said, because I leak. Ladies and gentlemen, we leak. That's why we need to be in the Word. We need to be on our knees each and every day. We fall into sin. Like Peter like David, like Abraham, like all the other saints, like Paul, and the, all the holy men we've known in the Bible. Nevertheless, we may always take recourse to this fact that our sins are covered and that God will not lay them to our charge. Sin is not held against us for the sake of Christ. All our sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven. That's what you need to understand. All of them. There is no righteousness without forgiveness. I give that illustration in, uh, in my church a couple weeks ago uh, uh, about forgiveness. I've heard it, and I think it's good I can share it with you also. Listen to that, to understand forgiveness. Just imagine you pass out of this life now. Bam. This is just an analogy. You don't have to worry. So now you wake up in a gigantic theater, and in front of you is a huge, bigger than that screen, huge 3D Queen. And all of a sudden, doors open, and an angel flies in and comes up to you and says, Welcome to the theater of judgment. Please relax and watch the screen. There, on the screen, you see your life. Everything you've ever done on earth. Everything you've ever said here on earth. Every thought you've ever thought here on earth. Think about it. These are the sins of commission. 
Then you proceed to, the, to, to see the sins of omission. See, look at them. All the things you should have done, but you didn't do. You look at the screen. Every detail. At the end of the film, as you are recovering, the angel com- uh, comes back and said, please, relax. There is going a second showing. Okay? This time, by the way, all the people you have met in your life, they are all waiting outside. We just, what we're going to do, we're just going to let them in to come and view your life a second time. So, relax. Just think about that. How would you feel if your life would have to be judged on that basis? Everybody you've known, they sit down here, just like this morning, and they say, who's? Pastor Moss. Okay, you next. Shh. Pastor Dano. Ladies and gentlemen, that is exactly how God judges us. Every little detail. Everything. So, I don't know about you, but me, I wouldn't want a private viewing, let alone a public viewing of my life at all. I don't. I do not want to be more convinced that I have done things I shouldn't do. And I haven't done things that I should do. I don't want nobody to convince me of that. All these things, you know what? Work like an overdraft on our account. The truth is, the reason you want to be a problem if we do it right here, because I have an overdraft. Pastor Moss has an overdraft. You have an overdraft. All of us have an overdraft. You see that? I can't help you. You can't help me. Religion cannot help you. Religion cannot help me. What can help us is someone in credit. Some of us, we're trying to deflect it and deny But I tell you, deflection and denial cannot help. You cannot join it at all. The only way to get rid of it is to dissolve it in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we see. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The only thing that can make a difference in that setting that I just described here, is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Unless somebody has paid for everything displayed on that screen, you're going you're gonna to have to defend yourself. 
And forgiveness can be obtained only by faith in Christ. Jesus came in this world to clear our overdraft. Where faith, Christ, imputation of righteousness are, there is forgiveness. You see that? Forgiveness then results in justification. Where Christ and faith are lacking, there is no remission or covering of sins, but only condemnation. Only condemnation. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, this is the theological assurance which have been preached in the entire Bible. Only by belief in Jesus Christ. God draws us to Christ. The means of justification is by faith alone, not by work of the law. Now, you have the Gnostic gospel who's trying to tell people, do, do more, do more. And you have another side, you have the legalism which, uh, aspect which Paul addressed in the book of Galatians. I consider those two are the greatest enemy of the gospel, and they continue today. Legalism. We tell people my ongoing relationship with God is based on my personal achievement or accomplishment. Those who say, yeah, we, do, we, we are justified by faith alone, but we are being sanctified by works. So what is that? Legalism is whenever I focus more on how I am doing instead what Christ has already done for me. The assurance of salvation is not only theological, but it has a, a moral, there's a moral aspect attached to it. Uh, verse 3 to 6. Okay? So this has four component attached to it. It is, first one, we find it in verse 3, obedience indicates salvation. Look at how Paul, uh, uh, John put it. So, verse 3 said, by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. You see? So, to have come to know him means to have come to faith in Christ. The way we know that this has occurred in our life is if we keep obeying His commandments. See? Obedience is not the means to salvation, but a fruit, an evidence, a result of regeneration. Once you save, you're going to produce food because Christ dealt with the root of the matter. He dealt with the tree. Once he makes the tree good, you're going to produce fruit. I love mangoes. You know, a tree, a mango tree produces mangoes. You see that? The second aspect of the more assurance is verse 4. Okay? Disobedience indicates a lack of salvation. Look at what he put it. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandment is a liar. 
and the truth is not in him. You see? So the person who claims to have come to know Christ, yet does not keep his commandment, is wrong. The truth is neither in him nor affects him. Here John should not be understood to refer to the, the recurring saints, sins of truly saved individuals. He made it clear in uh, verse 1 to, uh, to 2 that believers do sin. Okay? But that the blood of Jesus also covers them on those occasions. You see that? Okay? So, but if an individual, listen to that, professes to be right with God, yet lives in consistent disobedience, if he or she denies the reality of sin, is repulsed by believers, and does not believe in the incarnation, if he or she believes that Jesus was, was Michael, the archangel, before the incarnation and after the incarnation, like Jehovah Witness says. If, if they believe that Jesus, Jesus uh, did not physically resurrected, talk about with a spiritual resurrection, all these factors together indicate that one has not. Embrace the Savior in any saving way. That's why we don't consider Jehovah's Witness as Christian. They are not Christian because they preach a different gospel. And Paul make it clear. This is a different gospel. Of course, we need to address them with, with kindness, with gentleness. And knowing that there are people in Jehovah's Witness that need to hear the gospel, that's why we shouldn't shut our doors at them. When they come, we should welcome them, give them water, and cool them with the gospel. Because they need the gospel. They are not Christian. What you see, they indoctrinate. Because the problem is, because we as Christians, we come on, on, in church only on Sunday morning. Okay? Them, they've been indoctrinated. Them. Okay? The doctrine is demonic. They don't know. They, they, they're not called to reasoning from scripture. They are washed or right. Okay? So we need to preach the gospel because in Je the Jehovah Witness needs salvation too. Not only obedience indicates salvation and disobedience indicates lack of salvation, but verse 5, obedience leads to love for God. Look at verse 5. Verse 5. But whoever keeps his word in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in Him. On the contrary, in an obedient believer, the love for God is what? Perfected or matures. Obeying and loving God, even imperfectly, is how we know that we are in a true and right relationship with Him. Love for God expresses itself in obeying His commandment. You cannot say you love God and then you keep habitually living in sin. It's impossible. You cannot say you love God, you are a Christian, you're living outside 
of the principle of the Bible. Now, if you're struggling, what I can do, we can do as, 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 as people, if we have somebody, someone in our church struggling with homosexual, with adultery, whatever, what we do with people like that, we shouldn't shun them away. We, take, we embrace them. We love them. But you say, listen, I'm not, I'm not your judge, but there's a judge. He's God. He's gonna, he says in Scripture, this is sin. There are people who overcame this situation, this struggle. We'll help you. We'll embrace you. Okay? But you must repent. See that? Not only obedience indicates salvation, and disobedience indicates lack of salvation. Obedience leads to love for God. Verse 5. But also obedience leads to Christ-likeness. Verse 6. Look at what he says. John says. The one who says he abides in him up himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Wow. A huge statement. Obedience in turn results in imitating Jesus. So now, the question is, what was Jesus' mission when he was on earth? What was his mission? Jesus' mission, let me propose to you, was not to heal and perform miracles. Jesus wasn't a uh, magician, like a baker, give people bread. John wrote, actually, a whole gospel in which he organizes it around Eight signs, the Gospel of John, or proof that renders Jesus' true identity leading to faith. Because the Gospel of John were, uh, more, was more of apologetics and evangelistic. I give you the reason to believe so that you can have eternal life. Okay? He, he, what John did, he centered the first half of the Gospel of John around seven Miraculous signs, including the resurrection of Lazarus, right? Carefully selected to reveal Christ's person and gender belief. The reason he raised Lazarus from the dead is for what? Because he wants people to believe in him, to demonstrate his deity. Only God can do that. That's why Jesus Call Lazarus only. He didn't come, you know, to, to call every, everybody. Lazarus died again, by the way. Shame on the word of faith movement. The fake gospel of today. Who is trying to turn our Savior to a simple magician or a baker. Think that, telling you come to Jesus. You're going to have a good job. You're going to be healed. Although he can do those too. Jesus' mission was not to provide temporal comfort to the Jews, but eternal comfort. One prophesying that he abides in a relationship with him must walk as he walked. So now you ask yourself, how did Jesus walk? What was his mission? Jesus has two primary missions when he came. He came first 
to glorify the Father. You see that? And 17, and what? And seek and save the lost. Simple. The genuineness of one's relationship with an invisible God is seen in a person's visible behavior. So if I say, I am walking like Christ walk, my mission was, I'm going to show you later, is how to, to, to live, to walk like Jesus walked. Which leads us to our last and third uh, 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 test, the social assurance, which is covered in verse 7 to 17. Social insurance indicates salvation. The mission of Christ consisted of, like I said, two aspects. But Christ-likeness required the same type of mission, the same aspect in our lives. So, listen, after we serve, after we believe, we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is in us so that we can glorify who? Jesus. In John 16, verse 14, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, what? He will glorify me, for he will take up mine and disclose it to you. Love for sinners by seeking and save them. For example, because you have the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believers is not to, okay, to tell you, I'm going to heal you. you. We schedule a service of healing. Come, I'm going to heal you. To exalt yourself. The Holy Spirit is the shyness person in the Trinity. He doesn't come to he's point people to Jesus. That's his work. So in your life, what the Holy Spirit is doing is working to glorify Jesus. And not only is that, and take you to the Great Commission. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Because you have the Holy Spirit, he said, go and make disciples. You see that? Same as Jesus. The primary mission, ladies and gentlemen, of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is to conform him, conform you into Christ-likeness. Into Christ's image. It is not speaking, you know, ecstatic tongue, gibberish, or name it, claim it, gospel, like you see on TV, on TBN. Guy was saying, obviously, send me money, and I'll send you this. Uh, one said, Speak to your wallet and, and, and say, be thou fool. Last time I tried, my wallet was full of air. Didn't work. It's not the gospel. The Holy Spirit is not a spirit of chaos. I was watching a post on, on Facebook, a guy who has a, 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 a tower, he's just blowing and people just fell. You know, on the ground, rolling like a pig on the floor, dirty. The Holy Spirit, the, 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 the gift of the Holy Spirit, the food of the Holy Spirit is self-control. You see? Can I have the Holy Spirit? Uh, 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 what, what's that? What is that? That's not the Holy Spirit. I know what we call that. I've seen it in Haiti. That's voodoo. Demons. That's all they are. I remember I went to the south in Haiti in a mission. 
And there's a group, we are the only Baptist, we planted a Baptist church there. Full of charismatic church. When we went there, they are trying to stop us. And they came from, from part of the main capital. And then what they're doing, I heard they're making, doing miracles and stuff. When we came, we start preaching against these things. And then, and then people, and then those people, they come with hundreds of them. There's a tree. That's where they come to do their ceremony. We went to do a street evangelism. And they come to me and they say, these, these people are there. And then uh, the people in the region, they say, Every year when they, these people come, they do a lot of things. Miracles and stuff, and that's why people believe in them. So, okay, because I was a young, young preacher, young pastor, but I took the risk anyway. I went down there, I saw them, and then I said, listen, as long as I'm here, if your spirit, whatever you're doing, if it's from God, it will come down. And if it's not from God, it's not going to happen. And I prayed. I tell you, I just sit down, they beat their symbols, singing, all that, nothing happened. And you know the challenge that people said, if that happened, if they done, if they are able to do the same thing, they're gonna take the uh, manchetes, they're gonna have us leave the city. And I prayed, I trust God, I say, God, I know those these people, they are demonic. I want you to manifest your spirit. We stay there. They're looking at us in, in the face. Nothing could happen. They spent hours singing, uh, dancing. Nothing could happen. After that, they get the baggage and they left. People came into our, to the church. We, 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 we pray with them. We teach them. We say, stay away from them. They are demonic. Today, in the Western world, you know, we don't believe in, in those spiritual darkness that is going on. I tell you what, just because we have electricity 24 hours, demon is still active. In America, in the Western world, whenever we have, we have something, we said, we, we have a name for everything. We call them, you know, addiction. We went to medical. I'll tell you, when my children are sick, the first thing I do before I go to the doctor, I pray with them. We're still living in a darkness world. We gotta pray. We need to be aware of the demonic activity that is going on here. There are people, and that's why the gospel is not something only you do intellectually to debate. You gotta be on your knees. You can't save people. You can't. Only the Holy Spirit has the power to convict the heart. Only the Holy Spirit can move them, free them from demonic activity. Remember one of my, oh, my sister has a, for my half, he's my, she's my half sister, went from a Bible study, I stopped by my dad's house, and she was, I heard she had demon, possessed. And I came for a week. When I came, and I saw people, my, my dad used to be a very a mystic dad. So doing all kinds of things. So the, the lady stayed, couldn't eat for the whole week. I didn't know that when I came. She never talk, never eat, and just fighting. They, they tie her. The minute she saw me coming into the house, she screaming, ah! so I, I already know what's going on. i tell you what. I just applied scripture. Scripture says, guess what? Command the demon. And I come, he's got, I say, sit down. Hey, 
shaking, crying, screaming. I pray, I commend the spirit to leave her. And then all of a sudden, I say, give her food. And she ate. But I tell you what, even after I done it, I say, what? Well, I don't know. Where do I get that? The power is not in me. I just trust the Bible. You see that? I trust what the Bible says. Because I know the, the enemy is real. We're fighting a real war. Fortunately, today we are too technologically savvy. Love for Christian indicates salvation. Love indicates one is in the light of the new era. Verse 2, chapter 2, verse 7 to 11. Love for other believers is one of the most important aspects in Christian life during this present time in which there is an uh, inauguration of fullness of future messianic days. Such love's presence becomes a prime marker that one is in a right relationship with the Father. John said, Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is in the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. This admits that the old commandment described in verse 7 in a, is a new innocence. Because Jesus, what happened? Jesus raised the Old Testament injunction to love your, 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 your neighbor as yourself in Leviticus 19, 18, to a higher level. He said what? Love one another even as I loved you. In John 13, 34. Such love is true or being expressed in the reader's lives because their moral darkness is being removed and the true light of holiness is increasing and already shining. We read in verse 8. One of the primary indicators that they are in the light of the messianic age is through their love for other Christians. See that? You cannot say you are, the the you are theologically solid or that if you don't, do not love other Christians. Love one another. You see that? And from verse 12 to 15, you see, he shifts to God's family, right? Like most human families, has members at different levels of maturity. Because not everybody's going to be solid like you. There are people in different levels of maturity, okay? So the initial group address is little children. Look at what he said in verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. He's not talking about those little children. That's not what he's talking about. Okay? These are new converts or immature believers. Okay? John assures them they, they have been forgiven on account of Jesus' atonement. You see that? The next group 
Verse 13, I am writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. You see that? The next group is, is what? Fathers. These are believers, not my father. Those are believers advanced in years and spiritual maturity. They know Christ intimately. He who has existed from the beginning of eternity. So now, the last group, he's talking about, I am writing to you, young men, you see that? Because you have overcome the evil one. You see? So here John repeated basically the same remarks. Young men, they have overcome the spiritual adolescent. Okay? This was his way of saying, what I have written in verse 13 about your, your being saved, I mean, I will not retract it. We have other believers. I tell you, the problem they have, the Serentian Gnostics, they could not fellowship with other believers. The greatest obstacle we face when we go street evangelism and with other churches, you know who? Those are self-proclaimed believers. Because they believe we are reformed. We don't believe the same thing with, with them. They are the ones challenging us. If you are brothers, I am... I'm doing what the job you are supposed to do. If you see me in the sun, what you should do, give me a cup of water. Not trying to stop me from doing what I'm supposed to do. You know, they try to do that with Moody also, with the ways he's doing evangelism. They say, Moody said, you know how he said, I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. There's not a, you know, a black and white of way. I do There's not a, you know, prescription of how to do it. But, listen, circumstance, culture will dictate how we do things. But what we do, we should not. We should not. We should live in harmony. There are those who are solid in doctrine. There are those who are fathers. There are those who are children. Yeah, of course, you shouldn't say children, child all the time. Like you see, they are rebuke, they are encouragement in Hebrew. Uh, 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 the author to the Hebrews is saying, uh, <laughs> by this time, after 15 years in church, you should be able to receive meat, not milk, spiritual adolescence. But he did not. You see what the author did? He gave them the most sophisticated book in the, old, in the New Testament. It's not an excuse to be a child. Oh, I'm still a new believer, making excuses. If you are a new believer, an infant, what you do, come to Bible study. Learn. See, that's sturdy. You got to grow in maturity. These are the tests of salvation, brothers and sisters. It is clear in the book. I don't know if you will see my face again, but all I know, all that I know, you have this book, you have here, you have the word. And I'm confident in, uh, impressed by Pastor Moss, his faith, his faithfulness. Please, don't just come to church on Sunday morning. Get involved. Get involved. It's not a work. What, there are works to do. God's going to ask each of you an account. He puts you in this region for a reason. He puts you in the Bahamas. I'll tell you what. It is possible for a revival. 
to happen in the Bahamas. It is possible that the Bahamas will influence all the other islands. It is possible that the Bahamas will influence America. Because you know what they're doing? You see what they're doing right now. But Pastor Mas cannot do it. Those who are faithful to the word to preach, they are very few. They are very few. And they having receiving personal attacks. You know how many people hate us or what we're doing? Theological assurance. Believe in the doctrine of the incarnation. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. You got to believe in Jesus for who he claims he is. Not creating a, a Jesus from the figment of your imagination. Everything he says is in scripture. There's a moral assurance. Obedience indicates salvation. And obedience indicates love of salvation. I'm not saying it's easy, ladies and gentlemen. We're facing temptation all the time, every day. It is a spiritual warfare. But we have to guard ourselves, take the word, be in prayer. Believe in relationship. Create a community of accountability. If you're struggling with sin, don't keep it secret in you. Don't fight it alone. Find a prayer partner. Take someone. If you're a father, spiritually disciple, there should be multiple SGIs in this church, in the Bahamas. All of you, the good commission has been given to you. And create and go all over the world. Yeah, there should be social assurance. You shouldn't be. The church is not against that, this wall. Let the building burn. The church will meet on the tree. Ask the people in, 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 in the Middle East, in, in Africa, in those countries where, where, where they, can, they don't have a church to meet. But we've been comfortable with air conditioning, and then we think that's church. That's not church. God is called. He called you. He saved you. I tell you what, your life must be submit to Him to go and preach the gospel because there are the people who need to be saved too. The reason I'm preaching, I'm calling you, just like the author to the Hebrews, and John said clearly too, God how he concluded, he said, children, it is the last hour, verse 18, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now, any Antichrist have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. This is clear. A lot of people, not everybody in the church are saved. That's why even the, the author to the Hebrews, he, he, he preached. Because he didn't know who as a pastor, we don't know who is saved. In our church, when they say we preach expository teaching, verse by verse, some people are angry, they, they left. We preach harder. If I preach one hour, you're angry, I preach one hour and a half. Until you leave the church, until you purge it. Purge it. Those who are hungry for the word will stay. Those who are willing to sacrifice, to love, to go and share the gospel, they will say. Because you say, what? They went out from us, but they were not really... I'm not saying that in a mean way. Get me? No. What I'm saying is, if you believe, you have the Holy Spirit that will transform your life. 
You cannot live, stay the same way. Live in the same manner you used to live. You live with a boyfriend, with a girlfriend, you know it's outside of marriage. Quit. Leave him. Flee. Because God is angry. He's going to judge you. If you sin, we must repent. Whatever you're doing, lifestyle, you don't have the power to change yourself, but He can change you. If you do that, and they leave, John said, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. Judas was there. He heard. He probably went, and among the disciples who baptized people, guess what? What happened? Satan enters into his heart. For if they had been of us, you see, in the church they are, you know, believers. They are make believers. Also. And we say outside the world they are non believers. But the biggest problem is that make believer. People who think they come to church every Sunday morning, pay their time, and then fine. Is that what Jesus leaves? Have to be healthy. Are the right, the consumerism attitude. They are the ones who tell you how to do the church. Now, church, we say no. Scripture dictates our conscience. May the God of peace encourage you. May He strengthen you. May you never keep keep the cross. Keep it. Deny yourself. May you never be discouraged. May you will be called the great commission and to proclaim Jesus. May you love one another because the world will come to Christ not because of our theology but the way we love one another. Father God, thank you for your people. Father, only you can bring repentance. Only you can bring salvation. We can save ourselves. No one will come Jesus proclaim it boldly. No one will come to me unless the Father draws them to me. Father, is there anyone sitting in the congregation right now who never been regenerated, never known Jesus? Would you please open their eyes? Father, don't let them sit here, you know, another day without being repented. If those who are living in sin continually, habitually living in sin, Father, would you please grant them repentance? We know repentance, it is a gift from you, just like faith. Father, please, don't let them continue to deceive themselves. Let them repent of their sin and, and surrender their lives. Father, I am yours. Use me. Father, I've been struggling with that sin. It's either you save me or you kill me. I don't want to continue to live that style of life. Change me. I don't have the power to change myself, but the Holy Spirit can please, Lord, do it. And they completely surrender themselves. Father, and may you use them for your own glory. Bless this church. Bless Pastor Moss. Encourage him. Let this church be a light on the hill, Father, in this place. The name of Jesus will continue to be proclaimed boldly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.